wasn't able to do that. John chapter 21, it is, of course, always an honor and a privilege to uh, stand in the pulpit. It's a kind of a really special day for me. My parents are here in town for a wedding, and uh, my mom and dad, uh, about over, well, over two decades ago, started a church in Maine, and so it is humbling to be able to bring the Word of God this morning in front of my dad, who has been so faithful uh, to uh, the ministry all these years, and uh, honestly, just it's an absolute honor to be able to be to bring the word in front of a man that I admire, and he's my hero. And so, just uh, happy to be here this morning, John chapter twenty-one, and uh, we'll get right started. We're going to go right through the passage, verse by verse, and uh, see what God has for us this morning. Let's uh, pray, and uh, then we'll get started. Our heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for. Uh, God, sending your son, Jesus Christ, I, Lord, I, I pray that as I humbly bring your message this morning, God, that you would fill me with your spirit, and, and God, that if there is someone that's in our midst this morning that does not know you as their Savior, God doesn't know the peace that passes all understanding, Lord, I pray that you would work in their heart right now, and Lord, at, by the end of this message, Lord, I pray that they would make a decision to follow Christ. Lord, I ask this all in your precious son's name, Jesus. Amen. John chapter number 21. Right now, this is, uh, this is John, obviously, is the one that writes this. And uh, one of my favorite passages in all the Bible because, number one, I, I love humor. And there's just so many humorous things that happen in this. And it's really good. It, it's convicting and helps me spiritually and all that kind of stuff, too. But it's a, it is one of those passages that when you're reading through it, if you actually live out the passage and picture what's going on, it's kind of an unbelievable passage. Peter right now, it, it's John that's writing it, and it's really a passage not about John so much as it is a passage about the apostle Peter. Peter, at this point in his life, is, he's done some, some pretty crazy things and kind of messed up royally at this point in his life. He has been an intricate part of, of, uh, of the group of disciples. He's been an intricate part in the starting of the church that Jesus started. And now he has denied Christ. Jesus has died. In fact, the, the, the uh, first verse says, these things Jesus showed himself, I'm sorry, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples. So after these things, the, the things that it's talking about is, number one, Jesus has died, he's been buried, and he's, he's rose again. Now, Peter doesn't know yet. Peter doesn't know he's been rose again. John doesn't know he's been rose again. No one else knows, but this has happened. They've just had a week-long festival of, of uh, the un, festival of unleavened bread. And now Jesus has showed himself to a couple of the other disciples, and now he's coming to find Peter. And the other disciples, but really coming after Peter. In this passage. And Peter has denied Christ after he said he wouldn't. Peter is probably the leader of the, of the apostles, not just because he's outspoken, he's more than likely the only apostle over the age of 21. He is the leader of the disciples. And he denied Jesus. And we're, we're not talking about like low level denial, we're talking like denied Jesus to, a, you know, like a junior high high schooler at a fire pit. I mean, it didn't take much. One, just a little girl comes up and says, hey, aren't you with that Jesus guy? No, not me. I mean, what's the, what's the little girl going to do? I mean, he has denied Christ. And right after he said that he wasn't going to do it, Peter, 
we read the next couple of verses, we find out that he just leaves everything behind. He says, I'm going fishing. I'm done with everything. And now he's probably thinking, do I even have a place in the kingdom of God? Am I even going to be a part? Am I an intricate part? It's all over. Jesus is dead. He's gone. I'm going back to my old life. Look at verse number three. Simon Peter saith unto them, talking about all the disciples that are listed in verse number two. He saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, we also go with thee. You know, when we walk away from the pressures of following Christ, we almost always encourage others to accept it or go with us. Peter is the leader, so to speak, of the disciples, and he decides, I'm going to go fishing. Now, I don't know anybody, if there's anyone else in here that likes going fishing. I love going fishing. Okay, but this is not the same type of fishing. In fact, I leave for vacation tomorrow at 2 p.m., and I'm going to Florida. Not because I like Disney World. I can't stand Disney World. Not because I like the heat. No, because there's great fishing there. My idea of relaxation is getting on a beach and and, uh, you take one of those uh, pipes and you put it in the sand and then you take your fishing pole, you put it in there, you just sit on the, and you just watch and just wait for a fish to come by and bite on your, that's my type of relaxation. But this is a different type of fishing, isn't it? In fact, we know that Jesus, when he called Peter and the other disciples out of their old life, they were fishing. That's how they provided for themselves. They provided for themselves with their own hands and their own might through the art of fishing. And now, when everything has gone wrong in their mind, and no longer Jesus is providing for them, they leave and go back to doing what they knew how to provide for themselves in their own power. Think of how, what they had given up for Jesus. Back then, you follow Christ, it wasn't like, you know, okay, I still get to keep my secular job, right? No, if you're going to follow Christ as a disciple of Christ, you're homeless. You left your family. John and his brother left their dad fishing. That's a pretty, pretty tough thing to do. They sacrificed everything with no, no known thing of, of, or no knowledge of where the next meal was going to come from, where they were going to sleep. They just followed this man who said, I'll make you not just fishers of fish, but I'll make you fishers of men. And they gave up everything. And Peter, that's not good enough anymore. He's going back to how he provided for himself. I go fishing. But when he did, he brought six other disciples with him. You know, when we make the mistake or when we sin and decide to just do things in our own power, mom, dad, high schooler, junior higher, there's someone looking at you. They see you. I'm not a leader. It's, it's, a, it's a victimless crime. It's a victimless sin. No, when you decide to do things in your own, there's someone else that's watching you and saying, oh, we'll go with you. If that's how it works, I'll go with you. I'll do it that way as well. And when Peter decides to leave Christianity behind, other disciples went with him. Look at uh, the next part of the verse in verse number three. Then they went forth and entered into a ship immediately. Peter, this whole time, I can imagine, is, 
as, as the, the whole thing is playing out, Jesus dying on the cross, being buried, and he hasn't rose again yet, he, in the back of his mind, knows exactly where he's going if this doesn't turn out all right. I'm going fishing. We'll go with you. And immediately they were right back to where they started. You ever backslid before and decided, I'm, I just, this is just too tough, this Christianity thing. And when the first, the first amount of resistance comes into your life, you say, I'm just going to go back to my old life. Isn't it funny how fast you're attracted back to doing all the old things you used to do? It doesn't take very long. Immediately, they're back fishing. And that night, what did they catch? They caught nothing. Has anyone ever in here, just to raise a hand, anyone ever been, like gone all night fishing before? Like gone cat fishing? Yeah, a couple of you, yeah. That it is the worst thing in the world to go fishing for a long period of time and then come back and have to tell your wife it was worthless. <laughs> I didn't catch anything. It was really, really bad. Nothing was biting. Well, did you have fun? I don't know about you. Some of you may have said, yeah, I had fun. I don't have fun if I don't catch anything. It's not very much fun. Where in layman's terms, it means that they worked all day and they didn't get a paycheck. They literally put in all their labor and they did not get a paycheck. Nothing. Verse number four, but when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. And this, this, is, this is the very beginning of the humorous part of the chapter. They didn't even know it was... It hasn't been that long, guys. It hasn't been very long. Jesus has just died a, a couple of days before, and he's rose again, and they have already don't even know. They don't even recognize. Later on, we, we find in the passage how far they were from the shore, about 200 cubits, about 100 yards. They didn't even recognize him. They had no clue it was Jesus. No idea. When we trust our own strength, we are blinded to who Jesus is. When we trust our own strength, we are blinded to who Jesus is. We start focusing on our own power, how we're going to take care of things, what we're going to do, and we lose sight of who Jesus is. Not just who Jesus is when we see him, but what he stands for. How he is the one that is the true provider of our needs. We lose sight of that. It doesn't take long. and The disciples don't even recognize that it's Jesus. Verse number five, then Jesus saith unto them, What in the world is wrong with you? No, it doesn't say that. Then Jesus saith unto him, Children, have ye any meat? Interesting. Interesting, interesting here, you know, anyone, for those of you who have been fishing before, it's not uncommon, even if you don't fish, you walk by someone that is fishing, and you say, hey man, how'd you do? Did you catch anything? How you doing? Open up your cooler, let me, let me look inside. And it's, usually that's when the, that's when the lies start coming out, if you, if you go fishing enough. Oh yeah, I'm doing great, got a big one. Or, or if you don't want to know where you're fishing, you say, oh man. It's just really bad here. You definitely do not want to fish right here. I'm going to spend the next two hours fishing here, but we're not catching anything in this area. You might as well just move on. He says to them, children, have ye any meat? I find it interesting. He uses the word children. Children, have you any meat? And of course the answer is no. Isn't it? Isn't that always the answer? 
when Jesus asks us, hey, how's it working out for you? How is living in your own power working out for you today? Is it sustaining you? Is it satisfying you? And the answer is always no. It's not really working. When we stray, Jesus comes to us and offers us grace. He says, children. Now, I don't know about you. Whenever I catch my children, or my child, I should say, and I know my dad is here today. He could, I could probably bring him up and he'd have 10 million times more illustrations of this. But with my daughter, whenever I catch her writing on something she's not supposed to write on or the cookie, the hands in the cookie jar and the, the chocolate chips are all over the face, you know, and I, what I, my normal reaction isn't, child, how is that working out for you? Providing in you. No, I, I kind of get a little upset. I'm like, what, do you, what is wrong with you? Didn't you know I was going to find out? You know, oh, no, I wasn't, I didn't, wasn't eating any cookies. It's all over your face. I can see it. What in the world is wrong with you? And then I whack them on the head. No, I don't do that. When I was a youth pastor in Florida, I did that with my teenagers. What is wrong with you? Why do you I can see you. When I'm up here, I can see you on your phone texting. Did you not know that I was going to see you? And then I hit them. You know? No, I didn't. I really promise I didn't hit them. But we get upset. If I'm Jesus, as soon as I walk out of the grave, I'm looking around and I'm going, really? No one's here? No one believed that I was... I told them. I raised people from the dead. I I healed the sick. I performed miracles. I fed them out of nothing. Like I took just a couple fishes and and bread and and just fed 4,000 and then 5,000. You really wanted to... You didn't believe me when I said I was going to raise... I rose other people from the dead. Why won't you believe me? He comes out and he's like, there's nobody here. This is unbelievable. Well, one person was there, but... None of the disciples are there. They're gone. If I'm Jesus, I'm going, oh, man. And I'm making a beeline. Because he's all-knowing. He knows exactly where they are. He's walking right to where they're going, what is wrong with you? And then proves to them why they should have known better. Jesus doesn't do that, does he? From the shore, he says, children, how's it working out for you? Have you any meat? Do you have anything to sustain you? And the disciples answer and they say, no. No, we fished all night. Man, we've thrown our net everywhere. We've gone all over the Sea of Galilee. We haven't caught anything. That's embarrassing. That's like, you know, tail tucked between the legs when you're a fisherman and you've fished all night and you didn't catch anything. It's embarrassing. No, we didn't catch anything. It didn't sustain us. Then he answers right away in verse number six. Once again, if I'm a disciple, I'm going, who is this guy? I mean, first of all, I think I would know by now. Children, have you any meat? No one's going to talk to them like, like that except for Jesus. He says unto them, verse number six, cast the net on the right side of the ship and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it, the net. For the multitude of fishes, we find out later in the passage, 153 fish. They counted them. I love that part. They counted every single fish. 153 fish. They had faith. And uh, let me uh, say this 
this part first, just for your notes, fill this in. When Jesus asks a question, it is not because he does not know the answer. It is because he wants us to start thinking differently. When Jesus asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. Children, have you any meat? No? Oh, okay, shocker. Man, that's a good thing. This is going to make the rest of what I say really really add up because it, what I was going to say next depended on whether you had meat or not. He knew the answer. He wanted the process to start already of them thinking, hey, how's it working out for you? Huh? Are you able to sustain yourself? No, we're not able to sustain ourselves. How's it working out for you? He asked the question to start to get them to start thinking differently. Jesus was physically asking for fish, but he was spiritually asking them if their old life was satisfying. I have to remember to tell, show you where the notes are and have you fill it in. I've been there before when preacher skips over one. You're like, <laughs> it's like a sneeze, you know, that doesn't come out and you want to finish it. You're like, yeah, yeah, please, preacher, just give me the last point I missed. And you're like looking at the other person's, you know, note to make sure. I promise I'll get you all the notes. The sneeze will be complete, Okay. And he said unto them, casting it on the right side of the ship, they were not able to drop for the multitude of fishes. Verse number seven, therefore, and this is another part, this is probably in my top ten. I make lists, if you don't know me. I make lists about everything. This is one of my top ten verses of all time. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, does anyone know who that is? Someone just shout it out loud. It's John. Who wrote this book? John. And he's, t- he's mentioning himself as, hey, the one that Jesus loved, which is me. <laughs> it's me. I'm the one Jesus loved. Uh, he uh, says to Peter, it is the Lord. Okay, I picture Peter, and once again, you play this out in your mind. It's not Bible, okay, so you play it out in your mind however you want to. But I picture Peter right now, standing next to John, goes, it's the Lord. I picture him co- covered so the Lord doesn't see that he's saying it. It's the Lord. Peter says, I'm sorry, it's Mr. Moore? He says, no, it's not Mr. Moore, it's the Lord. It's him. It's Jim? Jim Moore? No, it's him. It's the Lord. And then Peter, look at this. He, now Simon, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked. Okay, don't picture that. But <laughs> picture this part. And he did cast himself into the sea. He sees the Lord and he goes, it's the, you're right, it is the Lord. Oh my goodness, I'm in big trouble. All of a sudden, it hits him. You ever been there before and all the flashbacks start happening? Oh my goodness, I didn't think that. I know he said he was going to do that, but he really did. He really did raise. And, oh my, and then I did not. And then the flashbacks of life just start to come back as he starts thinking of what he has done. In fact, he realizes, oh my goodness, I don't have any clothes on. It's Jesus. He girds himself, and then, for whatever reason, the Bible doesn't explain, he just decides to jump into the, into the sea. He says, oh my goodness, I know I'm naked and I covered that part up, but now I don't even want him to see my face. He jumps in the sea. When we act in faith, we finally see Jesus, but when we see Jesus... When we act in faith, we see Jesus. But when we see Jesus, it causes us to see ourselves as we really are. 
gets real easy, doesn't it, when we walk away from depending on Jesus? It feels good for a little while to go back to that old life and enjoy all the things that you used to enjoy and start trying to provide for yourself. And it works out maybe for a little bit in that first initial feeling of saying, I'm going fishing. Oh, it feels good, right? You break free. I'm done with this. This is one of the most annoying statements, I think, when I hear someone say that. I'm just done with it. I'm just done with it. Because I know what, what, what's happening right there. I've been there, too. I'm annoyed at myself. Whenever you say that, it's a good feeling because now you feel like I'm finally broke free. Now I'm going to start providing for myself. Then we realize it's not working out. And then when we see Jesus, we see ourselves for who we really are. I'm asking you this morning... Please look at Jesus. It's not always, you'd think it would be a fun thing to do. The unfortunate part about looking at Jesus is that then we see who we really are. And that's not pretty, is it? Jesus is perfect. We're not perfect, are we? Jesus sustains us. We can't sustain ourselves. The net is full of fish. Why? Because Jesus decided it would be full. Your job that gives you money, that helps you provide for your family, it's not your job that provides for you. It's Jesus. Jesus takes all our worries and punches them in the face, guys. He said, if you follow me, I will make you fishers of men. By the way, if he makes you skip, if you miss a meal because of Jesus, it's okay. It's all in the plan. It's all a part of it. There's nothing more satisfying than Jesus. You can stuff yourself with as much bread and food and fish as you want, but the only thing that is going to satisfy you is Jesus. Jesus came to the woman at the well, and he said, I can give you, we can give you this water, but you'll thirst again. What I have to give you may not quench your physical thirst, but it will quench your spiritual thirst. That's what's satisfying. Peter has seen it all, by the way. Don't you get frustrated at Peter? Don't you get frustrated at the disciples? Aren't you mad at them? I'm mad at them this morning. I don't like any of them. All 12, all 11. I definitely don't like Judas. I don't like them. I'm thinking, you know, come on. You saw him do miracles. You saw him turn water into wine. You saw him heal the sick. You saw the Lazarus thing. 4,000 people get fed out of nowhere. 5,000 people get fed out of nowhere. You saw Jesus just, the Bible says at the end of John chapter 21 that he did many more things that this book can't even contain. He was amazing. And then all it takes is a week and it's over. Like, are you serious? What is wrong with you? What's wrong with me? I've seen Jesus do miracles in my life. I've seen him take someone from death and have them pass to life. I've seen in church people come to Christ. I've seen him take care of me and my wife. We thought, I don't know where, I don't know where the next meal's gonna come from. I don't know where this is gonna come. I don't, I just don't know how to figure it out. And, and we got all worried about it. And then he, Jesus comes through. Shocker. As mad as I get at the disciples, that's me. I'm that exact same way. 
Then the disciples, verse number 8, and the other disciples came in on a little ship, for they were not far from land, as it were, 200 cubits, dragging the net with fishes. I can imagine now it's starting to get, you know, as the teenagers say, awkward. Oh, it's Jesus. Okay. And he provided all of our meal for us, 153 fish. We've never caught that many. I really thought the net was going to break, but it didn't. Verse number 9, and as soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon in bread. Jesus is starting to get things ready for him. He's already started a fire. He's got some food. Jesus says in verse 10, he says, bring of the fish which ye have now caught. I like how he says, which you have caught. Bring some of that fish that you caught because of me. Verse 11, Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, and 153, and for all there were so many, and yet the net was not broken. Jesus saith unto them, come and dine. Now the old song, come and dine, the master calleth, come and dine. That's where this is from. He's saying, come and dine. I don't picture them singing that song right then. It would have been a little bit more of a somber mood. They would have been saying, woohoo, we're getting to come and dine. I used to love that song because it reminded me that after church was over, the roast was in the oven. Come on, come and dine, that's right. No, all the disciples at this point probably weren't very hungry. They probably had lost their appetite. Even though they had fished all night, I've fished all night before and been very hungry in the morning. But I've also been around the dinner table when dad was a little upset. He raised his hand. <laughs> he knows. And the dinner conversation is a little awkward. In fact, sometimes no conversation at all. And you just wish that dad would say, hey, what's wrong with you? Or bring something up. But what Jesus is doing is the same reason why he asked the question. He wants them to start thinking. Keep thinking. Keep thinking. The food I just provided, I picture all seven of the disciples around the fire pit. They're thinking, oh, I remember when he fed the 4,000 and fed the 5,000 and there was a basket left over for all of us. How quickly we walked away from Jesus. All it took was just something to happen. And then he even said it was going to be okay afterwards and we didn't trust him after everything that we've seen. And none of the disciples, verse number 12, and none of the disciples durst ask him, who art thou? Would you have? <laughs> uh-uh. I'm not saying anything. They're waiting for Jesus to speak, and he still has not spoken, knowing that it was the Lord. Verse number 13, Jesus then cometh and taketh the bread and giveth them, and the fish likewise. Oh, that hurts. Oof. Here, you guys walked away from me. Let me serve you. Some bread, some fish. Here you go. I, my eyes would have been like this. I would have not have been look, looking at Jesus' face. Thank you. Imagine the shame that they're feeling. They walked away from everything after everything they'd seen. But Jesus invited them in. They warmed themselves. I can imagine cold, especially Peter. 
cold after a long night fishing. And then finally, Jesus says something. After the dinner is over. Now, maybe they spoke. Maybe, it doesn't say it in my Bible, but maybe they, maybe they said something in between. But it says right here in, uh, in verse number 13, Jesus then cometh and taketh the bread and giveth them and fish likewise. This now is the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. Verse number 15, so when they had dined, Jesus saith unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? First time Jesus has said something. Peter saith unto him, he saith unto him, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, feed my lambs. By the way, same word lovest and lovest. In the Hebrew, we find that it's not the exact same. One is a love called phileo, and the other is a love called agape. Two different types of love. Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? Do you care about, or do you, are you willing to follow me to the nth degree? Are you willing to lay down your life for me? And Peter says, yeah, I like you. Yeah, I like you. You know, Jesus, that I love you. No. He asks him again. Or then he says unto him, feed my lambs. Verse 16, he saith unto him the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He said unto him, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I really like you. I love you, actually. I mean, I love you. <laughs> yeah, you know all things. Jesus, I love you. He saith unto him, feed my sheep. Now it's the third time. Have you ever had someone ask you the same question three times in a row? And you're starting to get frustrated and you, you know where they're going with it, but you still don't want to give in. Happens when my wife and I argue. Not that we ever do, but if we were to argue, this is what it, how it would be. And I say, feed my mouth. No, just kidding. Verse number, three, uh, verse number 17, he saith unto him, the third time sonest. Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter now is grieved, it says. Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest I love love thee. Remember, I'm the one that cut off the ear. Man, I'll protect you. I'll cut off people's ears. You said walk on the water. I went, just stepped right out, walked on the water. You know all things. You know all the past. You know the, you even know the future, but we still haven't talked about the denial here, okay? We're not bringing up that part. But you know all the other things that I did. I love you. I love you, Jesus. You know everything. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he signifying by what death he should glorify God. He comes to Peter, he says, do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Take care of my flock. Do you love me? Yes, God, you know all, sorry, a little disrespectful. You know all things. I love you. Be my sheep. 
Hey, Peter, do you love me? Why does, God, why does Jesus ask a question? Is it because he doesn't know the answer? No, he knows the answer. He's getting Peter to start thinking, to start think differently. He's trying to, he's creating repentance in Peter's life. He's asking him an, a question where internally, he may be able to give the right answer verbally, but internally, he's not there. This is why Peter was in trouble in the first place, wasn't it? You ever been somewhere in the right place externally? Church? But been the wrong place internally? You know all the right answers. Hey, church, do you love God? Go ahead. You pass 100%. See that? Everyone in this church loves God and is willing to follow him to the death. Church, do you love God? No, you don't have to answer that time. Rhetorical. Do you love God? Are you willing to feed his sheep? Are you willing to take care of the flock? Are you willing when someone is hurting in the church? Are you willing when someone is being unrepentant in the church to go to them biblically and help them? Or is your first reaction, better Christian than they are? Man. That's about what Peter's about to do here after the third time. Then Peter, turning about, looks around. I'm going to be a little dramatic about this. And then he says, to, uh, seeing the disciple whom John loved, <laughs> I mean, who Jesus loved, John again, funny part, uh, which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayed thee? Jesus, seeing him, seeing John, says to Jesus, verse 21, Lord, and what, what shall this man do? What do you mean? You're asking me to follow you. You're asking me, you're saying, this is what's going to happen to you. He stretches out his hand. Peter was crucified. Just like Jesus was crucified, he's signifying. How many of you would like to know how you're going to die one day? No, thank you. Peter's, Peter's saying, really? Well, what about John? What about him? Are you going to ask him to follow him? What about him? Does he love you? Is he going to have to die for you? And Jesus says, what if, what if he sticks around until I tarry? What if he lives for a really long time? What is that to you? Follow me. The focus this morning needs to be on you. And for me, on me. Not on how everyone else is living their Christian life. Well, well God, you're putting me through a financial time. But what about Mr. and Mrs. Smith? They're, they seem to be having a great time in church. They come to church with a big old smile on their face. And I'm going through troubles and trials. And Jesus says, what is that to you? What if they never went through a trial? Would you still follow me? I'd lay down my life for you. Is that how shallow your love is? That you care what other people have to go through? It's not fair. Dying on the cross wasn't fair. He did nothing wrong. And he paid for your iniquity. For your sin nature, he took it upon himself. He that was righteous became unrighteous. For you, what is it to you what anyone else is doing in this building? What is it to you what you have to go through? Would you follow me? Christ says. 
Will you follow him? Are you willing to not care if it means losing your family, losing your house, losing your finances, traveling across the nation and living in a third world nation? If Jesus asked you to follow him, would you do it? Now it all starts to make sense. When Christ asks you to follow him, it's more than going to church on Sunday and singing a couple songs and leaving with a really big happy face and then going home and eating pot roast. He's asking you, are you willing to do whatever I ask you to do? Are you willing to do whatever he asks you to do? Jesus first invites us to commune with him. Told you I was going to let you get the get in. Jesus first invites us to commune with him, and then Christ then wants to know if we will follow him. Will you follow him? No, 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 no. I'm not talking about filling in the checklist. I pray 30 minutes a day, read my Bible 15 minutes a day, I go to church. I, even though I'm in a bad mood when I'm on my way to church, I change that and I'm really, really happy and I walk in and everyone sees me and then we go home and then I teach my kids, I send them to Christian school so they're able to learn Bible verses and therefore I am a Christian, I follow Christ. Those are all great things. It's awesome. You ought to discipline yourself. It's not legalism to, to read your Bible 30 minutes. It's good discipline. Okay. There's not every day of my life I go, man, I just love my wife so much. I just want to wash the dishes like every day. It's going to be so great. No, but it's good discipline for me to wash the dishes. It helps me love her more. Plus, she gives me a really good kiss whenever I wash the dishes. It's a different kiss than when I don't wash the dishes. But following Christ is more than doing the dishes for him. Am I willing to jump in front of a bullet for my wife? Wives, if your husband said to you, I don't know how to come to you with this, but I think God is telling us that we need to go on a short-term missions trip or a long-term missions trip and go to a third world country and sleep in a house with no windows or doors with no air conditioning. Are you with me? See the difference? Jesus says, do you love me? Peter says, yes, I do, but I don't love you with the kind of love that you're asking me. Do you have a love for Christ that will lead you to a passionate follow of Christ? Are you willing to throw away everything? Not, don't worry, we're, we're going to have an offering at the end. I'm not asking you to empty your bank account at the offering. But I'm, what I'm saying, are you willing to? I'm not Jesus, so I'm not going to tell you that's what you need to do because I'm not him. That would be wrong of me. But if Jesus came to you and said, you need to empty yourself, whether it be your finances, your family, whatever it, whatever it is, are you willing to throw it all away from me?
Yeah, but what, are you going to ask other people to do that? What is that to you? Focus on me, not yourself, and not others. I wish that we had the time where I could ask the question and just let it be silent for about five minutes or probably like 20 or 30 minutes like Jesus did and say, children, have you any meat? And you start thinking about how you've been depending upon your job and your family and the house you live in and your finances for your happiness and your joy. And I'd like to just let it sink in. And with, for me too, I'd like the time too. I prepared the message, so I've been thinking about it a little bit, a little bit more recently. And I'm convicted, guys. I don't know if Jesus came to me like he came to Peter and said, you're going to die for me. Still willing to follow me, Peter? I'd probably be the first one to say, but what about other people? Like, are they, I mean, I don't want to be the only one. What is that to me? Jesus died for me. Jesus died for you. Let that sink in. We're going to have a short time of silence where the worship team will come and they'll sing Calvary and we'll think about Jesus for just about four or five minutes. I don't know if that's long enough. But my prayer is that maybe just with today, you would start a little thought inside. Start asking yourself, what do I need to do to follow Christ? I don't mean like come to church. I mean like follow him. I mean like make a difference. I mean like make a Peter difference. Make a Paul difference. Where if it means laying down everything, I'll do it. I'll make a difference, not for this kingdom, not for my own kingdom, but for his kingdom. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed as you stand.